Hey everyone, welcome to Better. I'm your co-host, Julie Duffy, and this week we're actually really excited because we're going to bring back an interview that John did a few months back with Michelle Eichard. Michelle wrote a book called Middle School Makeover, and she is a great, really engaging, compelling, funny expert on all things middle school, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So um, yeah, I I rediscovered this podcast, listened to it the other day, and we just decided we have to play it again because it's amazing. So take a listen and share this with anyone that you know who has kids that are in middle school, that are going to be in middle school, that uh, anyone that teaches middle school or coaches or mentors kids in um, in that age range. It's amazing. You'll love it. Take a listen and enjoy. Michelle, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. Michelle is um, the uh, author of a book called Middle School Makeover. She writes a, a column called Michelle in the Middle. She's been on the Today Show. She writes for Your Teen Magazine, and she is a contributor to the Washington Post. So um, I am honored to have you here on the podcast with me. That's so nice. It's great to be here. Thank yeah. you. Um, so I, I think I'm going to start with with something obvious. So it seems like your focus is middle school. Um, yes, I, I, I love middle school. Okay, so now I, I don't know that everybody would agree with you on this, right? <laughs> yes. Know, um, I, work, I work with teenagers, tween-aged uh, kids and their parents, um, and a lot of parents kind of just hold, you know, cross their fingers and hope to make it through middle school. How did you decide that this was going to be your wheelhouse? Well, I should say I love middle school now. I hated middle school when Ah. I was there. (laughs) And um, I was working, I have a background in education, went into into business, and then the company I was working for folded. So I lost my job when I had a two-year-old and I was pregnant. So I was in a a bind um, and had to kind of create my own job. So anyway, I started a tutoring business. and, And just by luck, I worked mostly with kids who were in middle school. And it really brought back for me a flood of emotions as they talked to me less and less about academics and more and more about the transitional times at school. So being in the hallway or the cafeteria or riding the bus and what was happening with them. And it it just felt like I just felt compelled to um, look at middle school in a more pragmatic way, in a less mm-hmm. kind of emotional way, and to give kids tools around a highly emotional time in their life so that they could have some strategies to cope with what was happening. Got it. Um, you disliked middle school when you were in it, huh? I did. Oh, so much. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. What was what was so wretched about middle school for you? I don't think that's an unusual response, but what was it, you know, specifically for you? Yeah. So I moved um, a few times when I was young and um, started a new school in fourth grade in Boston, just outside of Boston, and um, it was not a good fit for me academically. Um, it, it just did wasn't working. So my parents said, "Well, you can." you could see if you can get into this private school. We don't know. And we don't know if we can afford it. Right. So I did the testing and I got in and we, we pretty much couldn't afford it, but, <laughs> but through lots of, um, lots of different channels with scholarship and with working and loans and all this kind of stuff, my parents made it work, which I'm grateful for. But the transition then going into sixth grade to start this new school was really traumatic for me. And it it, I talk about it a lot. It's funny in retrospect, but um, I, I just wore the wrong thing on the first day. Sounds like not such a big deal, but it was so much the wrong thing. 
I um, I had this idea that kids who went to private school would dress very fancy mm. and that they would look like business people, like small business people. So I wore a bow tie and a blouse and slacks. It was 1983. I was kind of modeling myself after Ricky Schroeder from the TV sitcom Silver Spoons. Got it. Yes, I can picture so, it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, well, here's a rich kid. So this is what it, all the kids must be like at my new school. And I walked into the room in sixth grade, and it, it was a devastating mistake, and people turned and looked at me, and some people laughed. And from that moment, I couldn't get my footing. I, I didn't know how to talk to people. I was afraid I would make more big mistakes, so I really just retreated and spent the next couple years um, hiding, trying very hard not to be seen because I thought uh, people wouldn't like what they saw. And, um, and then if, when I did that, I sort of became a target for people to make more fun of because I was very vulnerable, um, and unprotected. How, how awful. And you're right. The, the story now in retrospect, going back to 1983 sounds really funny. Yeah. Um, yet, you know, when I think about the, what, maybe 12, 13 year old girl who went through that moment, um, and that that set a tone, it's, it's, it's amazing to me sometimes how in middle school, a moment, a day, you know, a one outfit can set the tone yes. and suddenly you're that girl, you know? Um, and did it ever change from this is the girl who is in costume or pretending to be the rich girl or whatever it was that people were perceiving? Did you even know? It's, it's so funny that you said in costume because what <laughs> turned things around for me was in ninth grade, I auditioned for a musical, and for someone who, who had spent the past few years trying really hard to be invisible, it seems like a, like a crazy thing to do, but I think what appealed to me were costumes and lines, so I wouldn't have to figure out what to wear and make the wrong choice. I wouldn't say the wrong thing because someone would feed me a script. And I really like the idea of stepping out of my life into somebody else's. So when I did that, everything changed. I started, I'm like, hey, I'm the ninth grader who made the musical, you know, right, and I'm right, making right. eye contact with people and people are giving me compliments. And, and it became a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of self-esteem and self-respect after that. I, I, I like the arc of that, but how heartbreaking in a way, right? That, 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 that's, you know, in order to, you know, eye contact, like in order to feel comfortable making eye contact and not being invisible, it really yeah. took like stepping out of yourself and being somebody else up on that stage, huh? Yeah, it was a it was a great way to practice. It it is it is sad to think that you have to go through that, but I but I also think that every adolescent does that in one way or another. We practice putting on adult identities until we figure out which one suits. So it was a really nice, safe way for me to practice. Yeah, and I, and I think there's different. We'll get to it, but there's different stages. I think the kids choose to be on. I think social media allows them to kind of create their own stage, right, to some yes. extent these days. So in that gulf between six, that first day of sixth grade and ninth grade, was, was this Michelle invisible? I mean, you know, were you, were you effectively just making it through moment to moment, day to day? I was. And the, and the sad irony of that is that my parents could, were scraping together the money to send me to get this great education. And I would never raise my hand. I, you know, I just didn't want to be seen. I got grades that were okay enough that nobody worried, but not so good that anyone would notice. Not so bad that anyone would notice. Wow. You know? Wow. Um, so there's a lot of nobody noticing, a lot of like yes. under the radar. You were, <laughs> you were not to be seen, huh? That's all I, that was my main job. In a Don't way, get it's, noticed. It's impressive 
that you were so successful at it. Like I, I was almost certain you were going to tell me that you were suffering academically, but if I hear you right, you weren't going to allow that. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I knew how to do just enough to not, you know, to, to just go under the radar. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and successfully so. Um, to what degree were you suffering? Were you anxious during middle school? I mean, were you worried that yes. somebody was somebody's going to catch me, somebody's going to see me? So um, I was suffering. I, I do remember, you know, f- sort of faking the stomach aches to not go to school, and that didn't work very well. Um, I remember not wearing my winter coat in Boston because it was goofy and I didn't want anyone to, to see that, you know, so there was that kind of, I was trying my hardest, um, to work the system. Um, and then there was the, the pain too, of, I had made a friend in sixth grade, um, at the end of sixth grade, we really connected. And then in seventh grade, I made another friend. We bumped up to a new campus, new group came into school. I now had two friends. I was very happy, introduced them to each other. And as always happens with groups of three girls, they really hit it off. So so then I kind of got kicked to the curb. So, um, it was, it was very painful and very lonely. Now I say that with, with the adult perspective of knowing that because I was good at what I did at acting, um, People didn't really know that about me. I've reconnected with some people who I went to school with who said, you seemed great. You seemed wow. just fine, you know? Uh-huh. So I don't think we ever can really tell what kind of suffering is going on with kids in middle school because they're very good at hiding it. Kids like that make me so anxious because, you know, like any, anybody who can smile through the pain and seem yeah. fine, don't you worry about those kids? Absolutely. That's yes. why I do what I do. And, and that's why I connected with these poor kids who I was tutoring who were saying, I eat my lunch in the bathroom because I'm, I'm too afraid to go in and figure out where to sit. And my heart broke. And I thought, well, we've got to do something for these kids who are like, me were really good at just going unseen. Yeah, and, and the potency of that lunchroom, right? You know, like I hear about that a lot too. You just that one time of the day where it's not structured, you're not automatically sitting next to somebody, and the anxiety of those first few weeks, I think, is just wretched for kids. It is. You know? It um, is. So, 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 um, just, just getting back to the arc of your story for a moment. So, I hear, I hear your point that you know, like, hey. Ninth grade, getting on that stage, that was adaptive. That was that was actually probably a really good instinct of mine to get up there and practice being in the in the public eye once again, like being being a person who is connecting with other people and looking people in the eye and speaking out loud and seen so visible. I mean, you know, like that is right. the ultimate spotlight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. I mean, not just like you know, not sitting in the lunchroom, you know, next to somebody, but actually the spotlight. Um, trial by fire, in a way. Mm-hmm. And and theater is a great place for that because theater really encourages you to be a different kind of person, you know? So you don't have to blend in as much. Um, And I always encourage parents who have kids who are a little socially on the fringe to look at activities that encourage kids to be unique. Theater is a great one. So it was a good spot. Yeah. And was that, um, you know, is this um, adult Michelle looking back at teenage Michelle, or was that a very conscious decision on your part at 14 or 15 years old, like, you know, hey, I've had this opportunity to redefine myself in high school. I'm going to grab it. It was not a conscious decision. It was not an intellectual decision. It was more, um, 
I, I sort of, I knew I could sing, you know, <laughs> I liked, I liked to sing. I was, you know, I still had things that I loved to do and I loved music and I, um, and so I just felt kind of pulled yeah. towards it. So it wasn't, it wasn't a decision. It seems so gutsy. I mean, I get that it wasn't a decision almost automatic, but it seems so gutsy given what you'd been through a few years earlier, you know, to put yourself in, in the position where potentially, you know, it, it could have gone wrong. Um, was there some degree of like self-worth, confidence, self-esteem that brought you there? Or was it just like, I really want to, I want to do this so badly that it outweighs my anxiety. <laughs> It was a t- it was a teacher I had in middle school. We so in my middle school we had to take drama. Um, I wish every kid had to take drama or some. We had richer arts programs for kids because I think it would help so many more people. But uh, we had to take drama, and so we put on a production of Godspell in eighth grade. And um, it's a great one. We love. It. I mean, it's it's a yeah. guilty pleasure for almost everybody. I love musicals. So. <laughs> I think I did not wear my glasses. I had these huge glasses, and I think I did not wear them for the production because I had clown makeup on my face, you know? Right. And um, and my drama teacher said afterwards that her mother came up to her, and this is so, this is just fate. She came up to her and said, um, that little girl, and pointed to me, I bet you people don't realize it, but she's going to be a real beauty someday. And the drama teacher came over to me and said that. Whether or not any of that was true, you know, whether or not the mother actually said, I don't know. But I clung to that. I thought, there's a chance I'm not going to be the same person I am today later. What? That is fantastic. <laughs> and, and that's really what propelled me to take a risk because I, had, I never believed prior to that that things could change. So, so that moment, that one little moment brought you hope. Oh, so much hope. What yeah. A, and I, yeah. What, what, a, what, what a cue for anybody listening, right? Any adult who's listening, right? You know, those, uh, to take a moment with a kid who might be, you know, off their axis and to yeah. give them that moment of hope, you know, is enormous, right? Um, so what a lovely story, huh? Oh, thank you. I yeah. haven't even talked about that since. That's so nice <laughs> that we're discussing this because I've never given it much thought. But well, yeah, that was the moment. What, what, re, when, when I, you know, re, reading just what you're, what you do, I always think like we're drawn to what we're drawn to for a reason, right? So yeah. here, you know, like middle school is a very specific time in life. And I think most of us are, are repelled by it, you know, and, and just hoping yeah. to get through it. So the fact that you're willing to now as an adult sit in it with people is, uh, I, I suspect, an enormous gift to, to the kids you work with. Briefly, how does the arc of your story go from there? So somewhere between ninth grade and, you know, the time you graduate from college, you end up in business somewhere. How does, how does this all come to be? Yeah, so uh, four more musicals later, right? I go through high school. I, I love that. Um, but I'm not super talented, right? <laughs> it's never going to be a career. It is a fantastic hobby. Um, but I knew wait, I wasn't wait, Can gonna... I stop you for a second? Yeah. All, all humility aside for a second, were, were you like the lead by senior year? Were you like killing yes. it? Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had so, a good voice. I was so terrible you maybe broad, You might not be Broadway bound, but you were, you're a pretty good singer, huh? I was a good singer back in the day, Ooh, yes. If I thought I could get you to sing right now, Michelle, I would take a crack at that. You cannot. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm really in my age now. I've I've lost the talent, and it's a sadness. It's like a muscle, you know. You have to keep working it. But in any event, um, I 
I also loved to write. So I'm, I'm a very expressive person. And the other moment for me that was life-changing was in ninth grade. We had to write a story. I can't remember the assignments, some biographical story. Okay. And I wrote the story of finding out when my parents were getting a divorce. Uh, and I was six when that happened. So I, I wrote that out and turned it into the teacher and it came back with red marks and, and red words all over it. And my heart fell and I looked at it and it said, A minus, you are a writer. And I was like, oh, that's what I am. Okay. And it was another adult who took, took the time to say, you can, here's who you are. I see you. And this is what I see in you. Yeah. And that to me was so, it was vibrant. It was red. It was on the, on the page. And I thought, oh, this is something I can do. So I, I really got into writing and I went through high school, really interested in literature. I went off to college and studied English, minored in education, thought I will be a college professor. Um, and there's a, there's a bit of performance with teaching, of I course. I say, in, in a way, we, it, it all comes together there, right? I mean, in that idea. I love right. the way the, 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 the words, like, you are a writer. You know, like, in a way, that took my breath away because so simple and, you know, and yet so galvanizing, so defining for you. Ugh, that's... It was nice to be told what I was and not yeah. to feel what I wasn't right. all the time. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not the pretty girl. I'm not the friendly, popular girl. I'm not the athlete. Oh, here's what you are. That was so great for me. Yeah, man, to focus on what you are and not what you're not. Uh, I'm, yeah. thinking, I'm just thinking about all the kids I've worked with. I assume you think about the kids you've worked with and how sometimes we focus, we, we have this deficit model coming into our offices, right, where it's like I'm not the, the, the best looking, I'm not the most athletic, I'm not, you know, for some, some people, I'm not tall enough, I'm too tall, I'm heavy, I'm, you know, all these problems. And to have somebody just tell you, you are this and this is good, you know. Oh, that was so nice. Yeah, it was so, so nice. Perfect. And I think sometimes we're afraid of pigeonholing kids, so we don't do that as much as we could. It's, it's not an assignment. It's an observation. I think we should do that more for yeah, people. Yeah, right. And, and, um, and at least it, t it gives you that opening, right? That, you know, like the next time you write a paper, you know, I'm a writer. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I always, I, I always think about family mythology that we create sometimes. Um, and one of my least favorite phrases is, um, we really love her. She's not a math person. Okay. And I always think like, oh, good. so this, this child will be in math class every single day for an hour for years and years, and she's going to believe she's not a math person when in all likelihood she's perfectly capable in math, you know? Like, yes, it's so bizarre to even link those two phrases. <laughs> right. There's like, there's a, an unspoken but in there, which is really bizarre, like right? that you would might hinge your love somehow. That's strange. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So uh, that, that yeah. stuff drives me crazy, but I... I the, the opposite is you are a writer, I think, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, so, 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 um, so you're thinking at the time, okay, I'm going to be a college professor. I know exactly how this is going to look vision. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Until I didn't get into any grad schools. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I really I, I had the, the complete opposite kind of confidence at this time in my life. And I overshot every grad school that I applied to. Oh, so, <laughs> So then I thought... Overcorrected oh. a little, huh? <laughs> I overcorrected. So Yale didn't want me. All these places didn't want me. So I was like, okay, um, time for plan B. Right. I'll be a high school teacher. Um, and I, I student taught at a high school and hated it. And at the time, I was 
two years older than the kids I was teaching. I had seniors. So it was awkward and I was like, eh, forget it. So then on a whim, I moved, I went to school in Ohio and on a whim, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina with two girlfriends who also had liberal arts degrees and were like, well, we don't know what we're going to do either. Um, moved down here and just got a job working in, um, something called knowledge management for a, a large consulting firm. Got it. Knowledge management. Can you, can you just give me, uh, you know, the, an elevator speech on what we're talking about here? Yes. So you have a firm with 80,000 consultants and a lot of knowledge every time they go into um, and uh, into a new job and they don't want to reinvent the wheel. So we needed to create, this was back before really there were electronic databases right. or information. So it was sort of a sales position in the sense that you would go to the consultants and say, hey, what happened on your last change management job? Did you produce any deliverables that might be helpful to other people? And then you categorize them and then you do the technology around it. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, um, I'm a former CPA for about seven <laughs> years and um, and I, I know how contrary to my spirit that work was. How So I'm watching you and I'm listening to you how... How spirit crushing. Yes, was I was going to say soul sucking. <laughs> Let's go with soul sucking. It like was that. awful. Yeah. Um, it was awful for me and, and probably for my coworkers <laughs> who had to work with me um, because I just wanted to chat. I just wanted to talk to people and engage and learn. And, um, it, you know, it, it was not good. But I did, it, I did it for a while, and then uh-huh. that company folded, and that's when I found myself reinventing and started the tutoring. Got it. Got it. How long ago did you start tutoring? Oh, let's see. I started doing what I do now in 2004, so Tutoring must have been 2002, maybe, something like that. Okay. All right. So you spend a couple years tutoring, and you decide, "Mm, I want to delve a little more deeply into this group, this age group, and these people. I want to be a different part of their lives. Yeah, I felt like the parents were coming to me saying, you know, the bottom's dropping out. We don't get it. Things were fine in elementary school. And they wanted me to put an academic Band-Aid on it. And so often they would say, well, she doesn't know how to study for tests, teach her how to study, or he doesn't know how to organize multiple projects at once. And and I could do that, but I felt like other people could probably do that too. And what I really wanted to look at was how distracting the social stuff was from academic success, like me. Yeah, like I wouldn't, yeah. well, I wouldn't raise my hand. Right, right, right. And what are you, what are you finding amongst kids? Like what's, what's the toughest thing that um, middle schoolers deal with now? Because sometimes I think we make these presumptions when they struggle in school or they want to stay home, this school refusal thing that's kind of in vogue in a weird way now. And Mm -hmm. we think like, "Mm, well, this is a time where they're um, oppositional or defiant or there's some kind of attitude problem or something like that. And I suspect you're going to tell me there's something else going on. It's hard to say what the hardest thing is because it does vary from kid to kid. But the thing that I see, um, I'll say it's a little different for girls and boys because we have a kind of a three-year gap in brain development between boys and girls at this time. So the social stuff for girls that is so painful is changing friendships. It's girls who like me, who had a friend and then suddenly they don't have that friend anymore. They're pulling away from their parent. They're developing their identity sort of within their tribe. And then to feel as though they don't have that anymore is crushing and it feels defining. Yeah. Oh, I'm someone who 
isn't good at making friends. I'm someone who people don't like being around or bonding with. And, and it becomes etched in ourselves. granite. Huh? Mm-hmm. It, becomes, mm-hmm. it becomes solidifying. Do you feel right. like girls are, are um, that that's hitting them earlier in life than it did when you started this work, when we, you know, back in 2004 or so? Yes, that's such a good question. I do. Um, so I work, I, I've lowered the age of girls who I work with. I started working with seventh and eighth grade girls. Mm-hmm. And still, if I could get mostly seventh and eighth grade girls, I think that's, I would love that because uh-huh. they are um, intellectually so cool at that age. Um, and they like sarcasm and they, you know, they're fun and funny and all of that. And they're tender. I mean, they'll cry about stuff that's upsetting. They've already kind of gone, they're in the battle. You know? Yes, yes, right. And um, and I'd love to work with them. But the fact is that girls really want to start coming into my programs in fifth, going into fifth grade, end of fourth grade. Um, so then it's a very different dynamic because I've got girls who are talking about um, – it's more complex. Mom's involved. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, my right. mom told this other friend that I can't play with her, and, uh, and that's so different from the girl in seventh grade who's eating lunch in the bathroom. Wow, what a, what a big distinction. Right, there, there is a gulf of difference in those few years there, right? I mean, so you have to really adapt your style, and it's um, disheartening maybe to think like that a fourth or fifth grade girl needs this kind of help. You know, like, um, I almost like the idea, um, and I think it used to be that children, (laughs) in the way we think of children, are not self and others aware enough to be unhappy enough to feel like they need help getting friends. You know what I mean? And yet I think that self-awareness is starting to hit kids developmentally earlier and earlier and earlier to to the point where I don't know if they're ready to look at themselves. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's a big piece of it that's cultural. So what what are they seeing on TV and um, on social media that's making them think that that's the norm? Because I think the big quest for girls in middle school and boys in middle school is to be normal. So I often talk about how I call the middle school years the middle school construction project because you're building a new brain, a new body, and a new identity all at once. And you have no idea of knowing if you're doing it right. Right. So should I be interested in boys now or should I still be playing with my dolls? Or is it okay that I'm on the couch cuddling my mom or should I be, you know, hanging out with the guys on social media or whatever? So all you can do is look around at the people around you and assess yourself in comparison to them. So you're constantly wondering, am I normal? Am I normal? Am I normal? And do you find that a lot of kids um, make upward comparisons? They compare themselves in a way to people they think are superior to them in some way instead of like, you know, people who are truly their peers or, you know, like, "Mm, maybe I'm a little brighter than that kid, you know? (laughs) Yes, I think think that they do. Although I think boys tend to say like, I am the best at basketball at this age. You know, they really (laughs) think they are the best at a lot of stuff. And it's funny to listen to them in a group. They actually so kindly will agree with each other, even though they can't all be the best, you know? So when it, that's funny to see. But in general, I think you're right. In general, they compare themselves to the pinnacle, whatever they perceive that to be, and then say, well, I'm not that. It's kind of like me with the, well, what are you? You're a writer. You know, you know I am um, up, up until this moment, uh, I, I wrote a book a few years ago called The Available Parent, and in the subtitle was the word tween. And I've always had this aversion to that word because I feel like it's kind of this pop psyche word. And yeah. yet now talking to you for the first time ever, I feel like mm, 
maybe that actually holds meaning. Maybe you really are oh. between, you know, yes. <laughs> between like childhood and, and, and adolescence. And it's a, and there's some veracity to that this is an actual construction project top to bottom. You know, your psyche to your body, you know. Uh, it's the perfect storm. Everything hits at once. And the hard part is that with that tween situation, and I also have an aversion to that word. It, it feels, um, feels sort of cheap, right? Like, yes. a, I don't know, but, but they're not teens. We can't call them teens and they're really not little kids. Um, anyway, the hard part about that tween time is that it's not that except for body stuff, the brain and the identity stuff is not linear. So it's frustrating for kids and it's frustrating for parents to take two steps forward and one to 10 steps back. Yeah, time, yeah, yeah, you know? uh, right, absolutely. Um, body stuff. At yeah. this age, you know, I, I've been doing what I do. I've been uh, for, for 20 years, so a little, a little longer. And working with middle school kids, body stuff wasn't something we talked about 20 years ago mm-hmm. at all. Um, and, um, and now it is you know, prevalent, you know, like I, so I would say the lowest end I work with is sixth grade. And I worked with girls and boys in that year that are, that, that drives how their self-worth, you know, almost singularly. Um, how, how do you, how do you work with a child through that issue? You know, when they're, when they're totally dissatisfied with, and it's probably unfair question. It's a big one, (laughs) totally dissatisfied with their physicality. Well, I, I don't really. Um, so for your listeners, I'm not a psychologist. Right. Uh, so I do a lot of referring people out. Um, and I've got some great folks for anybody who sees me here locally or works with me who I send people to. Um, so I try not to go where I don't have real expertise. But sometimes in our groups, so what I run are leadership camps for yeah. kids in middle school. So I'll have 12 to 15 just boys or just girls in a group. And we talk about stuff that um, more so for the girls gets really heartfelt. So body stuff does come up. Um, And what I tend to do, whether it's body stuff or friendship stuff or whatever it is, is just be very honest with them. And, And also to remind them that as people reminded me, that things change, that who you are today is not who you'll be and give them concrete examples of that. Um, but I don't I don't dive into therapy with people over body issues. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, no, and I, and I totally appreciate that. And I think it's important that all of us, you know, all of us professionals know our wheelhouse, know our limitations and know our strengths, right? I mean, it's, a, yeah. it's critical. Um, what are you seeing with boys? So, so you, you gave us a little, a little uh, dissertation on what, what we're looking at with girls this age, in these ages. Developmentally, boys are a few years behind. I mean, I think that's legitimate. Right. Uh, what do you see? I see a couple things happening dynamically. One thing is that as the girls sort of get the ball rolling, boys tend to get snowballed into that effect. Um, so in terms of relational aggression and social dynamics, I see boys getting dragged in more, often as pawns, often as you know delivery people for messages, <laughs> that, that right. sort of thing. Right. Um, I see boys who... I think the hardest thing for boys to deal with in middle school is uh, being on the fringe because maybe you don't play sports or you don't fit into a very typical um, sort of boy stereotype. And stereotypes are really big in middle school because you're trying to join a tribe. And so you think that the way to do that is to blend and, and to assimilate. 
So it's hard for me when I see boys who are really smart and really cool who are not fitting in. Um, you know, I talked about theater. There are other things that boys can do that I think work really well in middle school if they aren't going to play sports right. um, that kind of can earn them cool points with other boys. Music is one of them. Knowing it's always it well. been that way. Uh-huh. It's yeah. always been that way. If you play a cool instrument, if you play guitar, or you're in a band or something like that, that's fantastic. Um, money is another one. And I don't mean you have to come from a rich family, but there's this sense that if a boy um, has a lawn mowing service and he's got some cash and he knows how to manage money, that's cool. Guys like that. You know, if he's the guy who can um, buy candy at school when he wants to, there's a little street cred that goes along with that. So true, um, right. And just kind of being an expert in something, it's really hard for kids to realize that, but it doesn't quite matter what it is. Boys like boys like kids who are competitive, you know? So if you are the best at robotics and you win your school an award for robotics, that gets you street cred too, and it right, doesn't right, seem right. like it would. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, the, the, only, the only thing I would add to that, and I'm curious to see if you've seen this too, um, curiously enough, like sneakers, oh. like having right. I could you know, talk about sneakers all day. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the strangest thing? But having like the coolest, like Jordans or the Steph Curry newest Nike, you know, thing. Man, do do boys gravitate toward these? Yeah. They do, and I encourage parents to put your money in a sneaker or a jacket that they can wear every day and let them get T-shirts from Goodwill. It does not matter. Um, My son, when he was in middle school, started a business where he bought used basketball sneakers, cleaned them up, and resold them. And No, it was huge. And so... You know, I talk a lot about trying on an adult identity. This was pretty amazing. He would go into shoe conventions and negotiate with other adults. I was terrified. Um, And he would, you know, I'm like, they're going to steal your stuff. (laughs) Right. Every good idea is going to be gone. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, he'd order shoes off of eBay. He'd clean them up. He'd go to conventions. He had deals going at school. I'd have to drive him to the Y so we could meet people outside so he could sell. He wasn't the only one doing this. It's not his original idea, but he he dove in head first. Shoes are it. Shoes are it, are a big deal. All right, mm-hmm. so, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a, a little fork here. Um, so your guy is mm-hmm. in middle school, right? And, and He was, yeah. Uh, he was at the time, right? He starts this business. What do you think makes a kid... Um, in that time period that's so difficult, right, um, have the tenacity and, and, and the courage and the resilience to decide, you know, I'm going to start a business. And, you know, like, wh- where does that strength come from? Because a lot of kids, right, they're just trying to find themselves. And here your guy is kind of a giant step beyond that, right? Like every, every once in a while I work with a late high schooler who tries something like that and it's jaw-dropping. To think like a guy <laughs> in middle school is, is selling, has, has the, the awareness to know, I can make money selling sneakers. I can clean these things up and I can, there's a market for this stuff. What have you done so right as a mom? <laughs> no, <it's> not, <laughs> I wish, but funny enough, my reaction to it, and I did not, maybe what I did right is I zipped it and I didn't say anything because my reaction was, A, this is gross, dirty old sneakers that other people have worn. <laughs> right. B, you're going to lose your money. C, I don't want to spend my free time driving you around to places to, you know, I had a thousand reasons he shouldn't do this. Very pragmatic, and, yeah. Yeah, and my <laughs> husband and I were like, every time rolling our eyes, another shoe purchase, you know, we hated it. So here's what I did right. 
I, I, I was quiet. I remained quiet about it, and I let him do his thing, even though I thought... I thought I, I could surely see he was going to lose all of his money. Every time he made money, I, I was like a gambler. I was excited. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't believe you just sold a pair of shoes for 200 bucks. That's so much money. And every time he lost, I was doomsday. I knew it was going to happen. You know? So I, I don't know that I did anything except um, keep my terrible thoughts to myself. Is there, is there uh, excellent parenting advice just in that? Keep your terrible thoughts to yourself. Like, you know, oftentimes I'll, recently I had um, a kid, eighth grader, who um, was, he was rapping and, 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 you know, playing around with hip hop and stuff. And, um, you know, and his dad was just beside himself and, you know, and yelling at him and, and going to war instead of recognizing like, he's kind of looking for a sense of identity here. Do, do I think he's going to be the next Kanye? Probably not. You know, I don't think he thinks that either, but it's a little something for now. And if you could sit back or maybe say, hey, play something for me or, you know, put your own anxieties and fears to rest, maybe everything's going to work out, you know, in all, in all likelihood. And, you know, he's going to be just fine. What, what, do, you, what do you think? I love it. I think that's exactly right. And I, I made the decision... When my daughter was um, at the end of elementary school, I really waffled. Every year, she did the talent show from kindergarten on. And um, for a while, she could sing really well. And something happened in fifth grade. She had, she made an adjustment or hormonally something happened. And I was like, oh, no. They are going to rip her apart. She, she got real nasal. And she was doing a song by herself up there. And I felt terrified. And I think that's where, like your guy you're talking about, that's where it comes from. You're afraid your child is going to be humiliated in some way. But I made the decision before that talent show that if my kid was going to be humiliated, it wouldn't be by me. So I was not going to be the one. If some kids were going to say some stuff, I was going to be the soft place to land. That was my job, not to preemptively protect them from all the, because a lot of bad stuff's going to happen to our kids. We can't protect them from all that. We, our job is to be the soft spot to come back to. I will tell you, I was, (laughs) I was rewarded after that when she got up to sing her solo and the mic didn't work. <laughs> Somehow, she got she had, she went through it. She had the bravery to get up there. We couldn't really hear her very well in the audience. She got a bunch of applause. It was awesome. I was so glad I made that decision. Oh yeah, no kidding. That's big, right? I mean, uh, so be the soft place to fall. Sometimes yeah. I think we as parents now don't even know what the humiliating thing might be for our kids. You know, their their culture is so different than it was for us. You know, when we, when we were kids that, you know, it's presumptuous to think like, you know, middle school was hard for me because of this. So it's going to be hard for my kid because of that. You know, I wish I, I could can that and hand that out to every parent I know, because middle school memories stay raw yeah. until you're an adult. And so we carry around this raw pain for so long and we want to protect our kids. But you're right. It's presumptuous. We don't know. Right. Right. And to lay on to your own kid what you went through. Yeah. Um, and and I, clearly you didn't do that, right? I mean, so you had this moment in, at the beginning of sixth grade. I assume your kids dressed differently when they started middle school on that first day, right? They were, I made sure of it, yeah, again, of because of my own rawness. I'm the parent who's like, I'll get you what you need, you know? <laughs> right, uh, right. I buy the shoes or the whatever, you know? Did you ever find yourself overdoing that because of your experience? Did you ever find, like, oh, maybe I'm a little hypersensitive to... 
you know, my, what my kids are going, might be, might go through because of what I went through and how difficult it was? Not with clothing. I, I, um, I think we're cool on that. I don't think we overdo it, but I think I do make sure that they, you know, if, if they, there's a certain brand or a certain something they want, we, you know, we'll figure that out. Um, sometimes we'll even go have on something. Um, so I'm flexible about that, Right. but I do catch myself, um, with social stuff. I catch myself starting to get whirled up and think, um, are people not going to like that if, you know, my daughter's a, a leader. She's a, a strong voice. She's a confident girl. And sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, and uh, why would I think that? I love strong women. Right, you know? right, right. But, but it's she's just seen, a, right? She's out there. She's, she's seen. Yeah. She's so vulnerable. And that can make me really nervous. But I catch it, you know, I, I reel it back in. But I know it's there. And that's the important thing for us to do as parents, I think, is catch it, right? There's recognize, mm-hmm. oh, that's me. That's not her. She's okay. Yes, absolutely. Right, right. Um, so um, I, I feel compelled. Well, I could talk to you all day, Michelle, by the way. This is fun. It's Thank fun. you. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask about the obvious because we've both been doing this work long enough that um, the Internet and, in, in particular, social media has evolved, right? So when, we, when you started doing your, your work, when I started doing mine, we didn't have this complication, you know, um, and, this, and this really cool way of connecting, too. And now our kids, every kid we work with, this is the culture they've grown up in. It's all they know. What, do you, right. what, what impact do you think this is having? What do you think of it overall? Um, I'm a fan of social media in, in all of its ups and downs. I like it. I'm a total introvert. So I love social media because it gives me a really nice way to connect with people, um, from a little distance and in with a little bit of more brevity, maybe I'm not Uh someone who, who likes to go out and be in a big crowd. Um, and I also like it because, um, I, for me, it's a very heartfelt way to make connections with people. For kids, I think it does the same thing. For a kid who feels a little fringe, I think it can be a great way to start a conversation with someone before you have to be face-to-face, right? So a little text, a little chat, or whatever it is, um, gives you context. Right. And I love that. Uh, and I think it's a, kids need to be connected to each other. So um, I think it has a lot of ups and I think it has a lot of downs. And I think the really terrible thing is that for a kid who's being teased or made fun of, if it's if they go through social media, which of course you do, right. um, there's no break. So yeah. you, you don't get to go home and just land in your soft spot, as we discussed. It's it's at your hip all the time. Yeah, so parents right. really should should monitor the amount of time that a kid spends on the phone and make sure there is time at home away from the phone. And, and um, how do you think parents best should do that? I, I, I agree completely. Um, I, I always look at it like noise, like, you know, yeah. there's, there's like this energy. Even even when you have the phone like on the table and it's not in your hand, you know, like something could be going on right now. It's potential energy. Yeah, yeah. I got it. yeah it's potential energy. Perfect. Yes. Like, you know, and you feel compelled to check. And I think a lot of us as adults, if we're being honest, can relate to that, right? You know, I would imagine if I'm being honest, as soon as we're done, the first thing I'm probably going to do is have a look, right? Right? Yes. <laughs> we're both holding way, up our phones. Showing our iPhones <laughs> to each other. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Fun. So, you know, it'll probably be, you know, we'll see like, okay, what's going on? You know, that's how we know. Um, and, and I think sometimes that's how, what I worry about with kids. I, I like, I like social media as well. I think, um, 
a lot of kids um, get built up um, via Instagram and yes. um, and Snapchat, and there's a lot of connecting. And I think um, a lot of kids find ways to connect in ways they wouldn't with people they wouldn't because it's easier than walking up to somebody in physics class or somebody or something and saying, you know, hey, what's going on this weekend? You know, like I think so. I think that there's a little ease in the communication sometimes, um, and I think there's also like this. Um, gravity to it because like, oh, um, well, I only got 14 likes on this picture I put on, on Instagram and my God, this girl over here got 200, you know, now, you know, now how do I feel, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. So I think it's, I, that is so true. And I think parents need to early on talk about this stuff. I don't know why parents think that they, they can't, that they're afraid to peel back the curtain. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how far to peel it back, peel it all the way back. Just say, here's what might happen. You might get 14 likes and somebody else might get 200. Let's talk about exactly what that means because it doesn't mean anything about you. Right, right. It could mean people weren't online at that time. It could mean that she's calling up her friends and saying, like my picture. Could, you know, who knows? Which and all this happens. You're, you are oh, not talking happen. theory, right? This all happens, right? People yes. get mad. Some people are very controlling and will say, you better like my picture. I'll like yours. You know? And, yes, exactly right. right. And, and people friend tons of people they don't even know just so that they can raise their likes and, and all of that. And so transparency is key. Talk yeah. to your kids early on. This is a tool. It's uh, what I say to parents is you want your kid to learn to cook someday. You're not going to keep them away from a knife until they're 18. You start by holding their hand on the knife little by little, then you watch them do it. Then you leave the room while they do it. Right. You have to do that with social media. It's a great, it's a great metaphor. Um, the, the, the part, the part I worry about is with social media, sometimes I think parents don't know how to use the knife yet. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, but, you know, so I think, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I, had, I had a mom in my, my office not long ago who said, um, I was so mad at him. I took all the social media away and I think I got it all. But, and she asked me, but is Tinder a thing? <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's a thing. <laughs> um, so, so, so I think sometimes we don't talk to our kids about it and we don't let them teach us about it. I think sometimes kids want to be experts yeah. and say, you know, like, okay, this is Snapchat. This is how it works because I don't know many parents who know how this stuff works. And when you learn, then you can almost be a part of it with them. You can monitor it a little better because I think, you know, um, I don't know if you, a kid recently told me about Finsta, which yeah. is like, you know, and I didn't, I'd never heard about this before, but we have to realize our kids might have a fake Instagram account just on oh, the they definitely other, do. Right? They definitely yeah. do. Yeah. So what they're showing us isn't what's really going on, right? Well, they're savvy. I mean, really, yeah. they want to get into a good college. They need to have a Finsta. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> right, that's other. Right. It does, Finsta doesn't mean subversive or it's fake Instagram for anybody who's wondering. Right, but you. yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you're doing anything bad. It's where you are really yourself and really raw. Any other might be, you know, some photos on there that you don't want a college to see. But <laughs> right, right, all right. And empathy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, there also, though, the, 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 the other risk that, that concerns me, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is um, bullying that happens online. When, when I started um, my job, um, it was in the wake of Columbine. And so, mm. like, in terms of, like, the really scary stuff, we were, like, kind of scouring high schools and middle schools for the trench coat mafia boys who were going to do something violent, you know? Um, and... 
since the advent of social media, I think as often as we're looking for boys who might be bullying other boys, I think even more often maybe we're looking for girls who are bullying other girls. I had a girl in here not long ago who said, hey, I can ruin a girl's life with one status update you want to see. You know, honestly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the answer was no. <laughs> but she meant she was she was she was dead serious. I mean, you know, like that 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 was a possibility. Um, but I would say that a girl who is craving that kind of display of power would have done something um, with just one rumor. She didn't, you know. I get how the status update is her vehicle now. Yeah. But she would have had a different vehicle. Yeah. You know, yeah. she would have had a slam book or whatever. Um, it's. It, it's just that the vehicle is further reaching and that it never goes away. Right, I do, right, right. I do worry more about girls bullying on social media um, because of the, the tendency towards relational aggression. Yeah. Um, but I think parents need to play ahead of the game. Parents cannot think that the solution to a technical vehicle for bullying is, a, is technical. So there is no app, there is no, there's nothing that is going to save or predict behavior, any of that. It's conversations. It's, it's old-fashioned parenting with newfangled technology. So you need to be having conversations early and often and openly with kids about what can happen on social media. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Old-fashioned parenting with newfangled technology. That's that's what we're looking for parents to do, right? And and maybe to not not worry so much, inform yourself, and be just be present for your kids, right? And um, be a soft place to fall when when they need you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the main reason kids don't tell their parents what happens on social media is they're afraid that the, the the device will go away. Right. So parents have to get more creative than just taking away the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I, I think one thing that parents I work with worry about is that they're their kid's going to achieve um, some kind of unwanted notoriety <laughs> online. Uh-huh. Um, I worked with a girl years ago who kind of innocently took a picture of her friend. They were getting ready for prom and uh, or homecoming, maybe. They were young. And, um, and that kind of got from one phone to another phone to another phone, and then it was on a 1,000 phones. And these girls now have this, carry this reputation for years um, that I'm not going to repeat. There's a, a word that people use consistently to describe them. And, um, and it, this was not their intent. This was just a playful moment. And, um, and, and yet their reputations were really heavily scarred for a long time. So I think there's maybe a, a cautionary tale we need to give our kids a little bit, right, about like, you know, hey, you have to be really careful because we could pass notes in class and throw them away, tear them up, and what you put out there is out there. Well, there's so much impulsivity in kids anyway. So you put technology in their hands and you combine that, how the speed of technology with the imp- impulsivity of their thinking, and it can be really dangerous. Right. Um, and, and what kids don't respond well to is a general, hey, be careful, because this could stick with you for the rest of their li- your life. But what they do respond well to is what you just 
did is a story. I knew a girl and here's exactly what happened and here's what they called her and here, you know. So if you talk to your kids about real incidents, things yeah. that have happened to other kids, especially where that story ends with a kid being disenfranchised from a group, that's right. their biggest fear. They don't really think they're going to get arrested. Yeah, right, you right, could, right, exactly. You could say, you know, oh, the empty threat of like, and if the police find out, then you could go for child pornography. No, no one's ever, you know, no one I know has ever been sent to jail for child pornography. And, but a girl then wasn't liked by all of her peers and, you know, was, had no friends after that is heart wrenching to a yeah, kid yeah. and terrifying. That's real. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, um, if you had one message that you wanted to give, um, to that, that sixth grader who is struggling, um, you know, who might be listening to you and I, um, and feels alone or feels lost or feels like they don't have an identity or a friend, what, what, what's the, what's the message of hope you can lend to that kid? Uh, I've never distilled it down to one sentence, but I think the message for the kid is everything changes. And so it's almost like the It Gets Better campaign. You know, I can't use their line. But truly, um, who you are today is not who you are going to be in a couple months, yeah. in a couple weeks, in a few years. Um, so just be open to change. Try a lot of things. I, I tell the kids I work with, middle school is the buffet of life. There is so much to go up and taste and try. And you don't have to try the same thing you've always tried. Go try some new stuff and see what you like. Oh, Now's the time. So great. That's so great. Right. Um, and to allow them the freedom to do that, right? You can mm -hmm. be who you are and start finding that. This is the time yes. to do it. Mm, that's yeah. awesome. How about parents? Like, you know, if you get a room full of parents and you got, you, you, you get a 30 second Ted talk with them, <laughs> what do we tell them? My tip for parents is always the same. My tip for parents is your kid feels judged up and down the hallways of school a thousand times a day. People are looking at them and evaluating how are they doing on their body, brain, identity, construction project. Yes. You know, they're not thinking about it in those terms, but that's what they're doing. So your kid comes home and they feel judged and your child cannot read your facial expressions, right? right? So there are studies that show that kids can't accurately read facial expressions in the same way that adults can. So when parents... Um, when parents act concerned or if they have empathy or they feel bad for their kid and they wrinkle up their forehead when they're talking to their kid, which we naturally do because we're, we're like, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you that I'm not cooking right now. I'm right, really paying right. attention. I'm very to, focused you, on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you furrow your eyebrows and you, you know, wrinkle your forehead. Your kid perceives that as the last judgment they're going to get that day. They think you're angry and they storm off. So what I tell parents, this cute little phrase, pretend you have a Botox brow and have a really straight, neutral forehead whenever you talk to a kid because the second you show expression on your face, you risk them misinterpreting it. But if you're really neutral, your kid is thinking, my happiness is not not being judged here. Like they're not depending on me doing the right thing. Ooh. They just are asking a question. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, right. I was wondering where you were going there. Right. But if you, yeah. if you can kind of calm your face, literally, <laughs> literally, because that's what causes more arguments in families than anything else I've come across. It's the kid thinking them, the parent is upset at them. And it's the parent saying, I'm not mad. I'm just asking how the test was or what happened to Kate today. Or, right, you know, right. 
Um, yeah, so keep it neutral. Keep it neutral. That's so that that's so good, and 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 that allows you to be kind of referring back to something you said earlier. That soft place to fall. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. So so g- getting back to judgment for just a second, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about um, your your moment of unwanted maybe notoriety earlier this year. Are, are, are you, um, are, is there anything you, you'd like to say about that? Or, you know, um, you know, so you, you, you're well known right now, or you were for a weekend, right? You were, yes. you were trending for a weekend, um, as, um, this, this hero to some <laughs> right? Who, um, uh, just made a note to a couple of girls who weren't being particularly kind in Starbucks, right? Correct. That, you know, would, wouldn't it be nice if you could just let go of some of the meanness because you've got a lot going for you? Why not be nice, right? Yes, yes. Um, and in the fallout of that, you got some wonderful feedback, if, if I understand Correct. you right, and yep. some not so great feedback. Correct. Yeah. So, what, what, so what was, I, yeah. yeah, I am the Starbucks mom. So that is how <laughs> lots of people know me. My story went viral. I was sitting in a Starbucks and some girls were sitting at two separate tables talking between two tables. So it was a very loud conversation for public consumption. I was not eavesdropping and I have a um, pretty strong mind your own business policy, but they were being so loud and upsetting, um, talking about some other girls in their class saying really cool things. Um, so I couldn't, I was with my husband and I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, let's go. And we went to go do our grocery shopping, but the girls had laptops. They were there for the day. Um, and when I drove by the Starbucks on the way out, they were still there and I was eaten up over this. So, um, I had been on my Facebook page, um, my public Facebook page, talking with some other moms saying, I'm so upset by what I was hearing and everyone was getting sort of worked up about it. Uh, someone said, you should, you should buy them a drink and, you know, with a little note attached about their behavior. So I did that. I, I ordered them Frappuccinos on my mobile app. You did? Um, yeah. And then the, um, the, I went in and I had the barista, they weren't quite ready. I said, can you deliver them to those girls over there? And then I delivered a card to them that essentially said like, you do have a lot going for you. Look at you. You're here studying. You're very pretty. You, you know, you seem like you're hardworking, but the things that you're saying are terrible. Um, and I wish that they matched all of these other things that you have going for you and, and ended it with saying it would take nothing from you to also be kind with all this other stuff you have going on. So what a lovely I posted really. that. Thank you. Yeah, I posted that to my page. Um, I no, no photo of the girl. No, I don't know those girls. Nothing I like that identifying. Right. Um, and, and the people on my page kind of went nuts over it. So it started off just organically going viral. And I'm watching it happen. Like, wow, I can't believe all these people are sharing it. And then it hit a critical mass where it opened up the floodgates. It went global. Um, and I was getting 600 comments an hour on my page. And I was the top trending news story two different times over the weekend. And then I just had a lot of honestly crazy people um, who were commenting terrible things, terrible things about the girls, um, sexually explicit, obnoxious things, you know, that as, as weird trolls are going to try to do, um, terrible things about me to just, it was, it became really abusive really quickly and was awfully painful. 
That's so wretched. I, what, before it got painful, was it exciting at all? Like I'm picturing like watching the trend like pick up. Was was it kind of like wow? You know, yeah. this idea of kindness is really like you know catching on. Did you, did you feel like like I wow, did? That, I yeah. I felt I felt so many um, people, men and women, who reached out to me instantly and said, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, and, and even people who said I was a mean person, I was a bully. And I can remember the day my friend's older sister called me out on it and it changed things for me. Thank you for doing that for them. So there were tremendous, um, I I felt like happiness and relief that people were saying, thank you. That was so, so nice. But then it was an exercise in this shotgun spray of, aggression towards me. And I, the exercise was interesting because I had to say, okay, I had to put it into buckets. So there, it it was sort of ironic. There were people who were criticizing me. There's a a lot of people who said I made it all up and I was doing it to sell books. So (laughs) once I grabbed all those I could sort of put them in that bucket and it felt less like shotgun spray and more like that's one single criticism from a bunch of people who were saying this is a publicity stunt. So there were those people. And then there were the people who said that I was a bully, that I should never have said anything to those girls, mind your own business, a nosy neighbor who inserted myself in. Um, And what was ironic about that is that those are the people who were calling me bad words and being really mean to me. (laughs) So I'm like, you're opposed to me saying something about their bad behavior, so you're going to say something about my... You're bullying me now. Okay. So then there were... Once I could compartmentalize those, and then there were people, um, honestly, I can't even remember. There were like three or four buckets of criticism. Um, and that exercise was useful in a sort of cerebral way to say, like, sometimes you can feel like you are under a rainstorm of criticism, but it may just be a couple points that are being repeated by a right. lot. You know? Right, right, right. But you had to go through this process in order to, right? You had to work through, because I, um, I will admit that I personally am, I, I, I am not very resilient to criticism. You know, like no. if, I, if I do a talk and I hear 50 good things and somebody says, well, you said um a lot, I'll, I'll hang on that. So yes. I, I really feel for you, like the idea of, you know, even if you see this firestorm of support um, to get that criticism, um, it must have been, it, with something you can't undo and is so very public now, um, it must have been harrowing. It it was awful. I mean, the reason that I do the work I do is because I'm highly sensitive. And so, wh- like you, wh- when the criticism started to come in, even though I, I knew some of these people are just trolls, they're just trying so hard to get me to respond to them, they're saying the most outrageous thing uh-huh. that they could say, even though I knew that. And that's not to say that all of the criticism was like that. There was some heartfelt, um, constructive criticism as well. But even that, like, was killing me, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh-huh. it's all it's all killing me. Um, had I not done it so quickly, I could have worded the note differently. I could have, you know, a million things. But sure. it was an in-the-moment action. Um, so, yeah, so for me, it... Like, I couldn't eat for days. I was just devastated. I was like, I cannot believe... Normally, I get 10 comments on something I post on Facebook, <laughs> on my page. Suddenly so you're 600 an hour or so? 
Yeah, and and People Magazine and Cosmopolitan and Time and all of these huge things, which under other circumstances I would have been like, woohoo, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> arrived. But um, I was just wanted to hide. It was really strange to be so exposed. I've got a weird question for you about this. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would have been different had it been me? If, if, it, if it had been a man as opposed to, you know, in, in light of like some of the things that have been going on recently in the news, I'm thinking like, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think there's more bullying of women, you know, who kind of speak up or, or are assertive in some way than right. men. Do you think that, do you think there, there's a difference there? Yes, that is such a good question. I had not thought of that. I think it would have been it would have been different because you're a man for sure. Um, but I also think that trolls are trolls, and that the people who take the time to make a comment typically are like. If I like something, I like it. I may write something pleasant to someone I know, but I don't often go off onto a stranger's page and and write a note of support. If I saw something good, I might share it. Right. That's how I would say, hey, I like this. I'll share this with my friends. I don't insert myself into, which sounds funny because I wrote the note, but I, um, I, like I said, that is not my norm. I tell you, I've been doing this work for 12 years. I have never been so moved or so upset by what I heard. Well, yeah, like, I mean, I clearly, like, listening kids. to you, this, this, it, it had to feel um, egregious enough and upsetting enough that yeah. you were willing to, because I can tell you, you're not a person who's just going to insert yourself into any situation. Yeah, you must have really wanted to make some impact and get them at least to consider, like, mm, you've got, you, you, like, like the yeah. truth of the note, right? You've got a lot going for you. Kindness is cheap. You know, like, take it. Exactly. And my yeah. hope was that... Um, I thought they would read it and make fun of me, honestly. I thought, like, these girls are tough. They're tough. They're going to read it, and they're going to be like, whatever. But maybe tonight one of them is going to be lying in bed and think back on that note and say, I, I kind of felt weird doing it, but I went along with the group, but now that I'm thinking about it, it made me feel bad. You know, not the, the, the doing it made me feel bad. Yep, yep. That, that was kind of all I could hope for and, and hoping that the, the poor girls who they were um, talking about would get a little break from it. And, that, and you were kind of looking to afford them a little break too, huh? That, yeah. I, yeah, of course. Do you, after all, all that that is said and done, do you regret it? Uh, I don't know. I So from a very personal standpoint, I wish I'd didn't go through it because it's pain. It's still very painful for me. I can tell. Um, from a helpful standpoint, I th- enough people wrote to me saying how much it helped them and inspired them to be kind or to think differently or to reflect on their own childhood. So it's hard for me to say that I would undo it because I would want to undo it for selfish reasons because I wouldn't want to f- feel that. But I, I can't say that I would because I don't know the impact that it had for other people. Well, um, I feel compelled to share with you that since since you and I were kind of introduced um, online, um, that um, and having read the note, I I borrow from it in my oh. work with kids. I want you to know that you know, like That's the so idea, nice. like you should just be kind. You know, like this is not. Thank you. Um, and um, and I think. We're so used to being jaded and sarcastic and harsh that that that's becoming you know more and more a mantra. And I, I honestly, like a lot, a lot of it comes from I, your 
courage in that moment to do something. So I, I get, I, I feel how painful it is, but one, I can tell you for certain it's had some impact you know, oh, because thank I've you. seen it. So. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does that experience um, inform any of your work with kids now? You know, like the, that, that potential, like, mm, yeah, those trolls are out there, man. And they will, they, they're, they're, they're coming for anybody who is willing to put themselves out there and really expose themselves. Yeah, I think the the lesson is that um, you don't know what will like. I boy, I've probably tried to go viral a million times in my life. I had a book that came out years ago, right? Right, right. You can try, and the stuff that you post, the great article you wrote, you hope is going to make a difference, doesn't. So you just don't know what will catch, um, and and that that in and of itself is liberating in a way like, like the girl walking down the hall, you could try to wear your very best outfit on that day and you have your hair perfect and you feeling confident. And that's the day someone says nice shoes. Right, and you're, right, you're right. like, oh, you crumble. And then on another day, you could come in feeling, you know, like you didn't have time to take a shower in the morning. And someone's like, I like your barrette. And you're like, what? Right, so right. it's liberating to, to sort of know that you don't have a lot of control over right. how people react. So what are you going to do? That's Spend right. every second worrying about it? One of, one of my favorite books, um, and, and actually it's one of my favorite book covers, if I'm being honest, is, is The Four Agreements. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this book, but it's it's four little tenets by which to live your life. And one of them is just don't take anything personally. And if, <gasps> if we, It's so hard. You know, it's like one of the hardest <laughs> things to do. Um, right. But if we could kind of put that on hold and get the kids we work with to put that on hold and not take anything personally, then that you can hear the voice in your own mind saying, this is right and this is wrong, you know, and then you just go with it, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it takes practice. It's like anything, you know, allow yourself if you slip up and you do take it really personally, allow yourself to sit there with it a minute and then one foot in front of the other again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Michelle, I am so grateful to you for taking the time to talk with me here. Um, And I've I've enjoyed it immensely. And I, I suspect that the families you work with are incredibly fortunate. Um, if somebody wants to work with you, how do they find you? So, um, michelleeichard.com. So it's M I C H E L L E I C A R D.com is my website. And from there, the whole world opens up of Michelle services. Go, go, go (laughs) to Michelle's, uh, website, um, read middle school makeover, read Michelle in the middle. Um, you are just awesome. I'm going to make people work with you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, okay, folks, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, LiveLeadPlay.com, and WGN Plus. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, or if you or somebody you know would like to be a guest, feel free to write me at John G. Duffy at DrJohnDuffy.com. And I have a free parenting program, just five quick little videos to watch on my website at DrJohnDuffy.com as well. Um, on behalf of Michelle Heiger and myself, I thank you for your time, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks so much.